This is Living It Up, a refreshing daily podcast to help you get excited about beginning each day or your entire life all over again, only this time with the loving God at the center. We hope you'll experience joy from listening and find yourself laughing and living it up all the way to beginning again. For more teaching and encouragement from the Neals, visit their website at livingitup.org. Now, here's Scott and Teresa. Hey everybody, this is March 24th, 2015, and this is Living It Up While Beginning Again. We are so glad that you're with us today, and uh, honey, we have some awesome things in store for us today, don't we, for Testimony Tuesday? We do, and I'm real excited to have some very special people in the studio with us today. And anybody that reads our Monday Blast, um, this is old news by now, but um, there's some wonderful people that the Holy Spirit has divinely connected us to with, and we're looking right across the table from. And this is pretty cool to be doing a podcast with another couple, honey. It is cool. That's what God does. That's how cool He is. <laughs> but um, this cool ministry that they're uh, directors of is called Chainbreaker Ministries, and uh, we're not going to tell you too too much about that. We want them to do that, but. Um, you know, with our ministry, we are all about second chances. We're all about beginning again because God and His love and grace and mercy certainly did that for us, God. And mm-hmm. uh, we're always um, praying and looking for other ministries with the same mission. And when there's salvation stories um, going along with that, it's even better. And they certainly bring all of that to the table today. But um, they are a ministry that helps those that are incarcerated come to Jesus, come to Christ. And they have hundreds of of stories to share about salvation. We don't have time to hear all of them, but we do want everybody knowing that um, thousands of people have um, are going to be in heaven simply because of the dedication of these two and those that uh, work on their staff and hundreds of volunteers who share uh, their heart for the lost. And one that's uh, something really cool and special about them is uh, next month in April, they're going to be honored uh, by Governor uh, Abbott, our new governor, with the Spirit of Excellence Award. Governor of Texas, for those of you around the world. Honey, that's yeah. true. <laughs> with the Spirit of Excellence for, for uh, operating with the Spirit of Excellence um, with the Criminal Justice Department. And right. so anything I'm not getting right, y'all feel free to correct me when it's your turn. So anyway, without um, saying too much more, we're just going to get going because these, these podcasts tend to run long. The people like, that are that are listening that are interested in this don't don't mind. Right, and uh, why don't you introduce them to everybody? Okay, well, sitting on my left is uh, she's the the beautiful part of this couple, and her name is Stephanie Henry, and, and she's here with John, and John's all cute with his his uh, goatee, and he's, he reminds me of our nephew Brian. Brian yeah. doesn't have any hair either, but that's, <laughs> that's cool. We it like is. that, John. Yeah. I would go more for the Mister Clean look. <laughs> Mister Clean. <laughs> Yeah, it's very popular, John. So you're you're cool, man. You're right on. Praise God. Yeah, John and Stephanie Henry, and they're with us today. So, um, is there anything you want to add? You talked to them for a long time, honey. I did, and uh, well, I just want to really um, just kind of dive into your to your ministry. Um, Maybe start, you know, uh, with you, Stephanie. Um, Let's uh, just a brief testimony. Of, uh, of your life experience, um, how you came to Christ. 
You want to know how I came to Christ well, or the it. testimony from the, the beginning? The testimony from the beginning. Because your, your upbringing, yeah. you know, what happened. What yeah. Happened. All of that oh, absolutely matters. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I will try to make it as brief as possible. But um, uh, I was born to parents that were drug addicts. Uh, so I was removed from that home at the age of three. Uh, spent some brief time in foster care and then went to live with my paternal grandmother. I was with her for 11 years till the age of 14. She was extremely abusive. Probably one of the worst things that remains in my mind other than the physical abuse was the emotional abuse. You're worthless. You'll never amount to anything. You're going to grow up and be a drug addict and a prostitute just like your mother. But the worst of it was the spiritual abuse. I remember when I was five and I came home from Sunday school and when you're five, you're a kid, you've learned that song, Jesus Loves All the Little Children of the World. You don't really think anything of it. I'm in my room. I'm singing the song. She comes in. She hears me. And she says, yes, Jesus loves all the little children of the world except for you. Wow. And so I had to endure that for 11 years of my life, just being told that I was, I was pretty much the spawn of Satan and that God hated me. My grandmother claimed to be a Christian. Um, so, of course, growing up at home like that, I thought all Christians were horrible, hypocritical, evil people, because that's all I had ever seen. Um, when I was 14, my grandmother decided she didn't want to take care of me anymore, but still wanted to reap the financial benefits. So she put me into state custody. I first started out in a facility. Many people here in Texas might remember it, Charter. Mm-hmm. Those stupid commercials. If you don't get help at yeah. Charter, get help somewhere. Yeah. Um, I ended up there. Um, I did have some mental issues. I was very angry. I did at that time want to kill my grandmother, but mm-hmm. simply because of the abuse. Yeah. You know, but of course, when you get put in facilities, they look at you, oh, you know, you're very homicidal. Here, take, let's put some antidepressants mm-hmm. into you and pump you full of whatever. Um, So that went on a path for the next three years. I went from mental institution to lockdown facilities, Mm -hmm. juvenile facilities, group homes, finally worked my way into foster homes. I will say that I had had some wonderful caseworkers. I didn't know the Lord at this time, but I have wonderful caseworkers that knew my upbringing. They were the only people that believed me. And so they worked very hard to get me out of there because they realized I was just a broken child and I was not crazy and I was not homicidal and Mm -hmm. all these things, all these labels that society wants to put on you. Um, When I was 17, they got me into a program in Kansas City, Missouri. Now, I did grow up here in Texas, but when I was a teenager, my family decided to move to Kansas and that's how I ventured all over the state through state custody. But there was a program, wonderful program called Pathways in Kansas City, Missouri that provide opportunities to children to help them get an apartment and find a job. And it was wonderful, but um, I took advantage of it. And within a few months, I met a gentleman that was several years older than me. And I was never much into dating when I was in high school, but uh, this man came with with some promises and, you know, and he was cute and Mm -hmm. um, brought the drugs with him. And so it was very alluring and I don't want to go too much into that. It just ended me up in a crazy place. But inevitably, I became homeless and was homeless for the next uh, next two years. I did find my way back here to Texas 
Uh, ended up in Tyler, Texas, of all places. And um, after a while of living in crack motels with a friend of mine, I just got tired of being homeless. And she said, well, why don't we go down the street? We can get a job at this topless bar. And uh, I knew that my mother had been a dancer for 17 years, and I thought, you know, I don't want to go into those same things my grandmother used to always say I would do, but after you're cold and tired and hungry for so many years, you just you just suck it up, and you go. Um, so I went into uh, the lifestyle of an exotic dancer in uh, probably March of 2002, I believe it was. Um, I do want to backtrack real quick because... Um, September 11th, 2001, I did get saved, um, actually five hours before the World Trade Center. Wow. I was into practicing in the occult because I hated Christianity, so I figured if I was the spawn of Satan, I <laughs> needed to go in the opposite uh, yeah. direction away from God. So, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I thought it made perfect sense. <laughs> so, um, But I, I did go to bed that evening, and um, I had a dream. I had a vision that I, that I was in hell. And um, I just remember being in agony, looking up and seeing God, the Father, and the Son. Now, people have asked me questions since then. How did I know it was them? I don't know. Just in the spiritual realm, you just know. Yes. Um, and I remember screaming out and crying out, you know, God, help me. God, save me. Get me out of this. And um, the Lord turned his back and walked away from me. And I sat up instantly out of my bed. Looked at the clock, it said 3.33 a.m., and I hit the floor. I asked for forgiveness of my sins and asked Jesus into my life. I immediately got up. I took all of my occultic books, my my tarot cards, all of my little potions. I took everything, put it in a trash bag, and threw it in the dumpster. Good for you. Wow, that's awesome. But after that, I didn't know how to live a Christian life. I didn't know I was supposed to read my Bible I didn't know I was supposed to pray, so certainly three months after that, uh, I met someone, and, and she led me down uh, a road of homosexuality, and, mm-hmm. and she's also the one that got me into exotic dancing. Right. So bringing it back up to March 2002, um, we did end up back in Dallas-Fort Worth, because this was where you made the money. You couldn't make much money in Tyler. Right. And... Um, well, that was just a crazy lifestyle, you know, when you're young and it was fun at first, mm-hmm. you know, you can't continue to do that sober. So the drugs, the alcohol, it's a big deal. That's how you make the money. But the worst of it that I really remember is that the way that you competed in that business was that you had to walk in there with your head held so high, knowing you're competing with 200 other beautiful women. And you have to say, I am, I'm the most gorgeous woman in here. Mm-hmm. I, I'm what's happening, you know, and you know, it seems so innocent, but when you do that for so many years, there's such a spirit of pride Mm -hmm. and arrogance that really lays hold of you, not to mention the spirit of lust that lays hold of you and just a spirit of control and manipulation that you uh, type of power that you feel that you have over those men. And there's just so much demonic entities in that, but I do very much remember, um, in February of 2004, I had left work, and my ex-husband and I were on our way to a, an overnight rave mm-hmm. where I sold ecstasy. Mm-hmm. And the amount of tabs that I had on me, had I been busted, would have sent me to prison for life. Mm-hmm. 
Um, we did go into this environment where I knew the management, but something seemed abnormal. We noticed the vice cops, and when we decided that we wanted to leave, I don't even want to say that we wanted to leave. I was sitting there, and God, even though I had ignored him for so many years, was screaming at me, get out, get out, get out. Mm-hmm. Um, so we left. We flew out of there. Uh, the police followed us. We should have been caught. We should have been trapped. We should have been arrested. But we managed to make it back home. And the Lord was telling me, you need to go to church. You need to go to church. A friend of ours had invited us to a church several months before this. We had gone and checked it out, but you know, living in our lifestyle, church wasn't for us. Even though I had known, I had that moment of God uh, knowing him, but again, I didn't live for him. But I figured, okay, what the heck? I just nearly got popped. These people are probably on the way to my house. Uh, okay, God, if that's what you want, I'll go to church. And I just remember as I quickly jumped in the shower to at least look halfway decent and not let the church folks know that I was high and intoxicated and looking all crazy. But um, the Lord said, you got to quit everything. And I said, okay, sure, I'll, I'll quit selling drugs and I'll quit dancing. He said, no, you got to quit everything or you're going to die. Okay, Lord. Okay. So I go to this church. As soon as we walk in the sanctuary, there was a movie trailer that was playing, and it was called Passion of the Christ. Mm-hmm. I had never even heard of it. But as soon as I walked in that sanctuary, I can't say it with a straight face. Um, it was Jesus being nailed to the cross. And anyone who's seen that movie, it's, it's very realistic and very brutal. And I remember looking up and saying, okay, I get it. <laughs> I get it. That's what you did for me. Mm-hmm. I get it. Beautiful. And I sat down and I never heard any word that the pastor preached. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just know that when he got to the end of the message, he gave an altar call. And I will say that God sent angels to lift me out of my chair because I did not make it to the altar on my own. <laughs> I felt like someone picked me up, drug me to that altar and threw me face down on that floor. Mm. When I hit that ground, I went unconscious. I didn't hear anything. I didn't see anything. All I knew was a complete, total peace. And I felt this huge weight just lifted off of me. And I know that the pastor's sister-in-law told me afterwards, they didn't know me, but she said, we were very concerned because you really did literally fall face on the altar we thought you had knocked yourself unconscious (laughs) but she said as soon as we laid hands on you and started praying she said there was a dark cloud that came up out of you and a foul odor Mm. and we knew you were being set free of something but i know that when i came off that altar i really was a new creature i really was a new creation everything looked different everything smelled different um and and it was a wonderful experience you know and i wish i could say that i've been faithful to the lord throughout all that time there were a few slip-ups here and there um but i never forget that experience i never forget where it brought me to because even when i have slipped up in the past Mm -hmm. god always helps me to remember that experience to remind me what he's done for me that's right so that's kind of the to brief recap as much as i can that's good that's That's awesome but Stephanie, thank you so much. That's a, what a powerful wow. testimony. And 
I know, yeah, <laughs> I, I know so many people around the world are going to be truly affected mm-hmm. by that testimony. Mm-hmm. And uh, we thank you for that. Yes. Well, John, we want to we wanna hear a brief uh, testimony and a little bit of life experience from yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, my first experience with church was going to stay over at a friend's house when I was 11 years old. And the next morning, his mom came and knocked on the door and said, get ready, the church bus is coming. And I was like... <laughs> Uh, I'll see you in the morning, or I'll see you tomorrow, Ray. I'm going home. And, and John, but, we have a, a similar background in that regard, we found out. Church of Christ. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so his his mom was a big, mean-looking woman, so I recanted and went. <laughs> and so the church bus picked us up, and, and I, 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 liked, I liked what I experienced there. And I continued to go back. Um, I learned about Jesus. I uh, started working on the church bus, as a matter of fact. And uh, that's what I did when I was 11 and 12 till I figured out what... The bus ministry was a powerful yeah. ministry. Bus on the wheels go round and round. <laughs> round and round. Oh, well. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. And, but uh, that's what I did until I was 12 until I figured out what marijuana and girls were. Bye-bye, mm. bus. Bye-bye. And I quickly strayed away from the church at that time and for quite a few years and started doing heavier drugs, mm-hmm. getting into doing speed and LSD and everything else I could get my hands on. Um, wasn't I grew up in a good household with good parents. I mean, I wasn't rebelling or anything. I just blatantly liked to get high. Yeah. And uh, Thanks for your so I tried to get higher and higher and higher and was always chasing a better high. Mm-hmm. So, of course, that leads to a path of destruction. <laughs> but through the course of the years, I wound up getting incarcerated, getting time, getting out, going back. Um, I spent 11 years of my life in the penitentiary and county jail put together. Uh, I have three TDC numbers, Texas Department of Criminal Justice numbers. Right. Um, the last time when I got incarcerated in February of 2006... Um, I was facing 38 years aggravated for uh, manufacturing methamphetamine. And uh, I had a wife and a girlfriend that I was living with both in as much as sin. Because, I mean, I was trying to get my hands in every bit of sin I could. Yeah. And uh, so I got incarcerated. I was locked up and going through the court systems trying to fight the case. And I got the letter from the wife I'd been married to for 10 years at that point saying I can't do this anymore. Because she had waited one time before for four years while I was gone. I mean, and I mean it's not her fault by any means. Um, and, uh, and then the other girl, Kim, she sent me a letter too, saying that she's out of here. She's not doing this anymore. And if y'all are listening, I apologize. I've never got to get face to face to tell y'all that. There's your men's. There you go. But um, so. I was facing 38 years, both of the women in my life. My Harley got repossessed and my Mustang got repossessed. So I was pretty much just hating life and I really wanted to die. And when I got that letter, that second letter, I was just beating my head up against the wall in in the jail cell, cinder block wall. I mean, I was literally beating it up against the wall trying to take myself out. I was in so much misery. I was just ready to die. And I mean, I seriously was beat, 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 beaten. After so long, I started, something in me just started saying, God help me, God help me, God help me, God help me. And, I, you know, I said that probably a thousand times. You yeah. know what? Nothing happened. Mm. And then I remembered back to to the church and going to church camp and being baptized. I remember the name of Jesus. And I said, one time, I said, Jesus help me. 
and everything started to change right there. Because, I mean, I was crying. I had my blanket over my head and said, Jesus, help me. And I just felt his presence come. Mm. And I started calming down, and I was getting better and pulled blanket over my head. And everybody in the room was looking at me like I was nuts. And uh, the the cells we were in had three cinder block walls, and then the front and the the front of the cell and the roof was bars. It's a Green Bay facility in Fort Worth, and the phones up front. So, at that time, I I calmed down enough to get out of bed, and I went up and I was going to go tell mom what just happened because my parents are Christians at this time, and they'd been praying for me for a long time, and I I went and called and. Nobody answered, and I, just, I thought about it, well, it's because they're at church, you know. So I'm sitting there with my head up against the bars, and, and the chaplain of the facility walked by, and this is like at 8 o'clock at night, and you never see these people. Even not being a Christian, and I mean, you only have a view of about 20 feet wide out the front of bars, and so you know everything that goes on in front of it. Mm-hmm. And you never see the chaplain, you know, after 3 or 4 o'clock go by. And he was at 8 o'clock at night, and he walked by, and he turned around and came back and looked at me. And uh, he asked me what was wrong, and uh, I told him what just happened. He says, here, you look like you could use this, and he handed me, handed me a Bible. And it was just like, that's where it all started right there. Wow. And then I wound up getting 15 years non-aggravated and went to TDC, uh, Texas Department of Criminal Justice, mm-hmm. the Texas prison system. And... As I was there, I used to see people come in and minister, and I was like, man, this is awesome, these people doing this. And I was just digging in the Word every day and just filling myself up and yoking myself to other people who have had that same experience in there. Um, people have been locked up for a long time and were really deep in the Word. And, you know, I was getting guidance from everywhere I could. And uh, these people used to come in and, and, and minister, and it's like, God... I, w- I would like to do this. Do you think I could do this? And I heard his voice. He says, this is what you're going to do. And uh, wow. and then uh, about a year later, this group came in, and they had a few motorcycles, and they came. I was on a trustee camp, and they came, brought the motorcycles inside. And when I heard the bikes, it was just like it made me sick because I missed my motorcycle so bad And because uh, I always had Harleys and just to hear the pipes on a, on a real bike. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so anyway, they came in. I was like, God, if you can give me another bike, I promise I'll bring it in to glorify you. I promise. And I, I meant it with every ounce of everything I was. Mm-hmm. And by that time, I had already found my favorite scripture. Well, it was my favorite scripture at that time. It still is, really. Uh, John fifteen seven. it says, as Jesus talking, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask for what you desire and it shall be done unto you. So if I'm if I'm living in Jesus and his words are living in me, the things I ask for is going to line up with the will of God. And when I'm asking for things that line up with the will of God, guess what? It can't fail but to go off because that's God's word. That's his promise. Right. And uh, and that was that was what I was asking. I want to do ministry in the prisons and um, I need some tools. And I went out three months, and I had an awesome little hot rod bike. Well, wow. he knew your heart. He knew what you were going to use it for, right? And yeah, I wasn't out very long, and we started going back in and um, mm-hmm. telling people about Jesus. And we've been doing it for f- almost five years now. That's great. That's awesome. I love of that. Well, um, 
I'm blown away here. I mean, I know you are too, honey. And uh, we have so so much that we want to we want to ask you guys. And both of your testimonies are are beautiful. I wish people could see what we see uh, when they when you sit there and talk about what he's done in your life. It's really really beautiful. Okay, having said all that, we want to know the magical question: How did how did the ministry come to be? How was that birthed? And of course, you guys are not together at this point. So quickly, tell us how you came together and got married, and then how the, the ministry was birthed after your marriage? No. Oh, okay. So we'll do it in order. Okay. Um, I was going to a church. I'm going to remain sure. unnamed. It was, it was a biker church. and uh, But they had been interested in doing some prison ministry, and uh, it just wasn't ever getting off the ground. So I said, hey, guys, give me a chance, because I still know chaplains, because I had just been out mm-hmm. Um, I've been playing in the praise and worship band in the church, and uh, I, I know there's some chaplains. I can make some calls. Let me see what I can do. And uh, it didn't take me about a half a day, and I had had one lined up. And <laughs> so uh, and I started to understand that one of God's gifts, and really I think his main one to me, has been administration uh, to plan hmm. things out. And Is that one of your spiritual gifts? Yes, it Good. is. Good. Absolutely. And uh, so I, I put this together, I got a group of people, and we went down to the Carol Vance unit in Richmond, Texas, and uh, it was an awesome, awesome day, and I knew this is what God had for me. <laughs> and so I went, and I was like, okay, let's do this again, and they were, sure, let's do this. And so I set up another one, and just like everything else in that church just never really mm. worked out. There's some spiritual bondage yeah. that held everything down. Yes from advancing and so anyway i i walked away from that church and but that's how the ministry ministry was birthed by itself and i came to know jay and john who was a guitar player and the drummer for the band Chainbreaker, mm-hmm. and uh i started talking to them and you know like let's do this and we filed for our 501c3. We started. I started setting up schedules. Um, volunteers just started coming on board and coming on board. And especially after they went once, it's like, hey, we're going again, and uh, I want to bring a few people. Yeah. Hey, we are coming again. Let's bring a few people. Today, I have a volunteer base of about 90 plus people that I can, I send out a group text, and depending on their schedules, who can fit in and which direction in the state we're going in. I, ha- I always have more people than I can put on the list every time That's ready great. to go. How, and how long is, have you been in existence? Um, well, the first unit we went into was October 2010. Okay, okay. Um, we filed for our 501c3 shortly after that in 2011. Okay. okay, very good. And so we've been doing it ever since. We go into one or two or three units a month, plus where we go minister at the, the nursing homes, uh, homeless shelters, uh, Juvenile detention facilities. Uh, we even go down to Deep Ellum in, in Dallas and go talk to drunk people on Saturday nights at midnight. There you <laughs> go. Cool. I mean, everybody needs Jesus. That's exactly That's right. right. So, how did y'all meet and get married? <laughs> well, I was working at um, a home cooking cafe as a waitress, and uh, John had stopped in the week before, and uh, I just thought he was kind of strange because he. <laughs> He had such a big smile on his face. But, but you, you told me you were praying for a Christian wife, right? There's yeah. a whole lot more to that story, but yes. Okay, that's all we just yes or no. Good. Okay, there we go. Um, I, I as well had prayed for a Christian husband since my first husband had not been Christian. And um, 
I think I prayed for eight years for a Christian husband. But of course, at this point, uh, I'd made up my mind I was not going to date. And I had told God that if this man that that I envision these desires you've given me in my heart, if he's real, then you're going to have to put him literally in front of me because I'm tired of getting myself in bad situations. Um, so, but he did come in the next following week and, um, we talked a little bit and he said that he wanted to take me out to dinner, but that was not unusual for me to hear as a waitress. So I kind of blew him off. Um, but I did notice that he pulled into the parking lot on a bright blue Harley. (laughs) And so I quickly uh, changed the subject and asked him if I could go look at his bike and went outside to check it out. And, and he said, um, you know, maybe we could go for a ride sometime and crack open the Bible. And, um, me and my sarcasm, I laughed at him because I thought, and I told him, I said, don't you mean crack open a beer? Because that's what guys always say. <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget. It. it was like a slap in my face. I should have just, I should have just shut up because he got so serious. And he said, oh, I, I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't do anything. Oh my goodness. Okay. This guy is too, too good to be true. Uh, so I did agree to go to dinner with him. Uh, I was checking him out the whole time, trying to make sure that he was normal and not crazy um but he he, by our i did agree to a second date and on that second date uh after we had ministered to a friend of mine who was a manager at denny's at that time um we ministered to her for about 45 minutes and then after that i turned and i looked at him and very loudly and clearly the lord said this is the husband that i have for you awesome i said okay well cool lord i'm glad that you made it that easy so that's so great that's and it's so wonderful to be in ministry as a couple isn't it such a joy it is i mean there are hardly any words to even describe what it's like and when you have that common bond and you're on the same page with that if that's not just every you know what what we need to be from a natural standpoint of just being married but when you're on the same page with the events in the kingdom as a married couple it's just amazing it's what a God true does. image of a help meet it is yeah. it definitely definitely is are we gonna try to say something <laughs> oh no do y'all need to get a room okay. sure <laughs> that's great okay so well, now we have all of that we're yeah. gonna talk about the number did you bring up number four that would be yeah, well, you know, we had uh, actually asked you guys, you know, approximately how many salvation experiences, you know, you thought you might, um, you know, have had, you know, the the joy of knowing that people have come to Christ because of this ministry. And, uh, John, you were saying that, uh, that y'all probably minister maybe to, maybe could be three, 400 people at a time. Um, and so uh, what would you, what would you say? Maybe, maybe thousand, thousands? Yeah. Yeah, we used to keep count at the very beginning, yeah. and then it, that felt too much like scorekeeping, and that's yeah. not what it's about. Right. It's about salvation. It's about eternal life. It's about Jesus. That's right. Um, we just stopped keeping count. I would say probably closer to 2,000 than 1,000. Wow. Um, yeah. That's so. great. People want to know. It, it is, yeah. and it, it's awesome. Um, we, have, we have a great way of going about what we do in the prisons, and it's very, very effective. Um, can you and, uh, can you give us maybe a story or short short story or two maybe some a special story of someone who actually came to the Lord that sticks out in your mind maybe it was a child younger child or or uh, someone that juvenile. was in some serious trouble I don't know well just a couple of weeks ago we went to the Hughes unit in Gatesville Texas mm-hmm. and uh, I, I I started playing in the band Jane Breaker so I was up on stage and my roles kind of shifted here in the last six months in the ministry because I was always running around making sure everything was going on clockwork and I mean my gift is administration Um, now I'm playing bass with the band 
And uh, so while we were playing, Sarah and Cody were sitting in the back of the room and they were praying over the guys. And Sarah started praying specifically over this one big old white guy mm-hmm. that had a pentagram tattooed on the back of his head with a goat head in the middle of it and a 666 written across it. And big okay, okay, here letters. I go. What's a pentagram? Just for anybody that doesn't know. You, there oh. you go. Ask the occultic master, right? Okay. No. X. <laughs> yes. X. Um, the pentagram represents Satanism. Okay. okay. That's really kind of, that's the purpose of okay. it. That's okay. Right. It's short to the point, short, okay. okay? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, so anyway, she was praying over him through the service. And uh, so we got done and the guys stood up and they were like, encore, encore, encore. And that's actually the first time I've really noticed that there's ever been an encore asked for. Really? And uh, so we played one more song. It's called Children of the Light. Mm-hmm. Okay, so oh. when that gets when that gets yeah. over with, the preacher usually comes up, who is also an ex-con, and uh, we 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 break off into two volunteers with one inmate on prayer, and they'll come forward, and before we even let the prayer request come out of their mouth, we confront them about salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one big black guy came up to them right off the bat, and. Uh, he was a gangbanger, a, uh, a guy from the Crip, and uh, he was actively involved in gang in prison. And he came up and gave his life to the Lord. Wow. They they went through and they were talking about salvation, and he was starting to get interested. But what something he heard during the music just set him off. Wow. And uh, so they talked for a while, and and they led him to Christ. And it was a true. They felt like it was a very hundred percent, very genuine thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they talked for a while, prayed with the guy, and he went back to his seat, and Sarah said, Cody, go get that guy right there with the, with the pentagram on the back of his head. And he walked up, and he's like this massive guy, mm-hmm. very scary-looking massive guy, according to her. Mm-hmm. And uh, he walked up, and he put her his hand in her hand and just started busting down, crying. <sighs> I mean, he was just sobbing uncontrollably, and she asked what was happening. She said, I just gave my life to the Lord during that last song. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they they talked with him for a while and about what it really meant, the decision he was making, and what he was going to do from there. And it so turns out that the, the Crip gangbanger and the white Satanist lived two cells away from each other. And they got them both together, and they, and this is something that's not common at all uh-huh. in prison, and they joined up, put their arms around each other, and decided to go on this journey together. Wow. And I tell you what, that's going to speak volumes for years to come. It sure will. Well, that's incredible. Man, I, seriously, that's, you don't, you don't hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean just, just to hear that, uh, that they could be brothers in Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and and go beyond the norm. You know? Can I add something to that? Sure. Um, people in gangs in prison, really the only way out is if you come to confess Christ and they watch you very closely to make sure that's what you're really about. And they will let you out wow. in, in those terms. But they're going to give you some slack. They're going to test you. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're going to see what you're really about. Sure. Okay, and, and if you're not wholeheartedly walking after Christ, mm. you're going to get sucked back in and That's really right. messed with. Wow. 
one thing these two guys got going is they were both very large people. So That's right. It's going to take several people to come mess with them. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's, wow, amazing stories. Okay, so I, I didn't remember us really going into this, but uh, does Chain Breakers uh, have uh, provide you know, a discipleship or mentoring program. I, I, I don't remember what you, what you guys have said afterwards for aftercare. Okay. On, on Monday nights, me and my wife and another individual, Dan Williams, we teach a faith-based deliverance class okay. at a neighborhood church in Watauga, Texas. Okay. And, uh, from seven to nine, if anybody's interested. And it's, it's, it's all about, it's all about deliverance. You know, recovery focuses on what you can do. Deliverance focuses on what Christ can do. Mm-hmm. Um, our program is approved by the the county probation and parole department. Uh, when you come out of when you come out of prison or you get put on probation, one of the requirements is you have to go to at least two one hour groups a week, mm-hmm. and you have to get signed off, and they have to be approved. Right. Um, so, our our class meets those standards, and and also in the prisons, we have another couple that lives by the prison in Abilene and they're teaching a class every Friday night and next month they're going to start a second class on Thursday nights a discipleship class that's what I was wondering about yeah um TDC is fairly good depending on the unit about having some some units have a lot of classes Mm -hmm. things you can get involved in um the chaplain will want to know the names of the people who who came forward during an altar call Mm -hmm. so that they the good chaplains that care um they, they want to know so they can follow up with them. That's right. But the thing about chaplains in TDC is they are required to rely, provide religious services for no matter what your belief system. So a Christian chaplain can also, will also have to provide uh, Qurans or anything for Wiccan or Satanism, Necronomicons, what, whatever, Indian tribal stuff. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. He has to provide you with those materials. Okay. Wow. And I did want to say real quick on that Monday night class, it's not all ex inmates that come and it's for people who have any type of addiction. We say drugs, alcohol, or chocolate cake. Yeah. yeah. Anyone is welcome to come because the delivering power is in Jesus. That's right. Praise God. Starbucks is exempt. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you wish. <laughs> um, Stephanie, you know, you had mentioned earlier, um, uh, the most difficult thing, you know, former, you know, inmates need help with is getting back into society. Um, how they're perceived, how they're treated, you know, are they marked for life, you know, getting jobs, the shame they may feel, you know, et cetera. You know, discuss what what the, what y'all, you know, know that they're feeling and that they're experiencing emotionally and spiritually speaking. I mean, because so many, you know, there, there's many listeners that are listening right now um, that may have not have been incarcerated and, and don't know, you know, what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and I can say, you know, even as an observer, though, I wasn't incarcerated in the adult prison system. Mm-hmm. I do watch a lot of them come out and of course, of course, first and foremost, they're convicted felons, which means most of them cannot get a job. Um, the two types of industries that actually supply felons with jobs are the construction and the restaurant business. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, they really don't have a lot of hope. And I know I had mentioned that there is such a taboo on them. Because of that that rap sheet, that conviction, mm-hmm. they basically come out of prison with a stamp on their forehead. Uh, it's even difficult for them to find housing. And as it is with the North Texas area, 
most of the police departments have gotten together, so it's kind of an unwritten rule, but they can no longer lease an apartment if they're mm, if they're convicted. Yeah, and some apartments will work with you as long as the um, crime was, you know, the conviction was done 10 years ago or more, as long mm. as it was not a violent crime. Most certainly, if you are a sex offender of any type, you can't find any type of housing. So when you're talking about people coming out of prison who maybe got in prison because they were selling drugs to support their family, Mm -hmm. well, now maybe they want to come out with the best intentions, but they can't find work. And we very commonly encounter inmates again that were only out for six to eight months, which is usually the typical time frame. And we'll ask them, why are you back in here? Well, I couldn't get a job and I got frustrated and I had to support my family. Mm. You want to add to that? Well, one thing I want you to add to your your perception of when you walked in for the first time to see how those people were, you were thinking they were scary, you know, big, mean, scary people. and <laughs> Right. Well, of course, you know, and television really doesn't help. And I know the first time I walked in a prison to partake in this ministry with my husband, you know, you go in and you see the, the barbed wire and, you know, basically going through airport security. And, you know, it's a little nerve wracking. But when you do get in there and you meet these men, you shake hands with them. First of all, so many of them are just babies. Mm -hmm. They are young. A lot of them are so young. And you know, even the older ones, they are not intimidating. They are not hardcore. I know the, the gentleman, the Satanist that he mentioned earlier, that is a very, very, very few number. Most of them are very humble. Most of the, well, they're all almost always willing to admit that they know they did wrong. So it's not scary. It's not intimidating. There's a lot of security. So you are well protected, but more than anything, we know that when we go, we go in the Holy Spirit. So we're not really worried about anything happening. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, so as far as what we were talking about on, on the topic, what would you say to anybody listening on, speak to both of them, to those, to those that have gotten that are out in society now speaking to them and then to those of us uh, that maybe know someone who has been let out and is back in society how do how do we how do uh, we need to respond and and uh, treat them well first especially if we're in christ then we need to look at people the way that god sees that's them. that's right and he sees their sin forgiven he sees them covered by the blood of Christ mm-hmm. if yes. they've received Jesus. Even if they haven't, we all need to remember that God has forgiven us of much. And how dare we choose to judge or not forgive someone else? Yeah. You know, the reality is everybody needs a chance. And I know we mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. everyone has done something wrong. Most of us just didn't get caught mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. So even though there's people that are convicted felons according to the law, There's even a lot more that should be, but they just haven't found themselves in that situation. So I would just advise that before you judge someone because of a crime that they committed because they've served any prison time, just remember that you yourself before Christ, you were a prisoner as well. Mm. And and statistics say that only 8% of the people that commit crimes are ever caught at what they're doing. So that tells me that there's a whole bunch more out in society that we see every day that aren't being held accountable for the things they are doing but the real issue is is everybody sinned and fallen short of the glory of god so it's not even the issue of illegalities it's the issue of sin well i'm just curious to know like what what are the percentages that i'm sure you guys know in other words the world's view and their numbers of those who re-enter prison and what is usually the cause? And what keeps them from returning? 
Um, the statistics I know are a few years old, and I've been told that they're they've dropped some. But the last statistics that I've seen is that about sixty eight percent of people return into prison, and sixty eight are repeat of are repeat offenders. And to my understanding, just a decade before that, it was up closer to eighty percent. Is that a, is that is not just in drugs? You're talking about no matter the crime. People that have been in prison going back, right? Recidivism, and. The statistics I've seen that were put out by Prison Fellowship, they say that for people who came to know Christ, mm-hmm. it that number has dropped down to 17%. Wow. That's which is an amazing, huge, huge jump. Wow. So, I mean, that right there alone is how important it is to tell people about Jesus, Amen. whether on the inside or the outside. That's, That's right. right. That was powerful. My Ed, John, you know, when we were writing these questions for you guys, you know, what you just said about, you know, 17%, you know, compared to 68%, you know, if you know Christ or you don't, you know, it seems like to me that I, and through the prison ministries that I've worked with in the past, a lot of these guys, you know, have never had a structure in their life. And so when they are released, that structure is gone and they're on their own again. And so they kind of, in a weird way, miss that structure. And so they go, when they, you know, it's not that they really want to go back, but like, you know what, that was kind of cool. You know I mean? I had structure in my life and I've never had structure, never had a dad, you know, I never had yeah. this. And so with Jesus and getting to know him, you know, then they're getting structure. Which is why you know? it's vitally important when you come out to get hooked up with the church, right? get hooked up with a body of believers, somebody that you can stay accountable yes. with. Yoke yourself with believers yes. who are on the right path yes. because right. It, whatever you yoke yourself with is what you're going to turn out to That's be. Exactly That's right. I mean, in, in the biblical idea of yoking is when a yoke went on two oxen, they were equally as strong and they pulled together. Mm-hmm. But if you put a, oak, a yoke on an ox and, say, a baby donkey, that ox is going to overpower and it's going to push in towards the donkey and it's mm-hmm. just going to wind up going in circles. Mm-hmm. And that's all that's, right. that's ever going to happen is you're going to go in circles and circle and circle. Mm-hmm. Well, y'all's Monday night, um, you know, teaching um, that y'all, that y'all mentioned that you do uh, the discipleship programs and things of that sort. That's so needed, you know, um, for people who have been incarcerated and for people who have not been incarcerated. I mean, that is such a, look, what you were saying, being equally yoked. And having someone there to say, hey, you know what, man, you can do this. Mm-hmm. And so many times in their lives, you know, they have been, never been told that. No one's really ever believed in them. That's and true. now someone's coming up to them and going, I believe in you, man. Mm-hmm. You know, so. you know and, and the amazing thing to me is that, you know, we started this. Or God put this on my heart through a series of events to start this class. And once it started and got up and running, I was surprised to see people from within our church that have never been in trouble before showing up and becoming, we're, I mean, we've become a tight-knit family. Wow. And, and it's just really a beautiful thing. There's support all the way around. Yes. Yeah. Well, the question I have, and we kind of covered it, but what keeps them from returning? Accountability. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because I would say when we go back and I do see uh, young men that I talked to maybe even a year ago and I asked them why they came back, they always have the same answer. I really did try. I tried tried. really hard. I tried, and I tell them that's the problem. You You can't do it. 
you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so, and that's the only way they're going to succeed. They may know God, but unless they're trusting in him for everything, mm-hmm. then they're trusting in their own efforts and they're always going to fail. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And let me make a comment about why that class even started too, in that same regard. Your deliverance class. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, it's so important. You're required to go there by the state. The state, it, readily admits that they do not have the resources to have like NA or AA group type things or deliverance classes. They don't have the resources to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. They they rely on outside sources. Mm-hmm. Now, I can tell you one thing right now. You can, you can go to a different state and not know a soul and have money in your pocket and show up at an NA meeting and find dope within just a few minutes because the people that are in that class or in those or most of them are required to go there. I mean, 99% are required to go there. They're either actively in their addiction or freshly out, and they still know where to go score. Mm. So that's one of the reasons we started. Another problem I have is, hi, I'm John, and I'm an addict. Well, no, I'm not. If I touch dope, I will be in two seconds flat again, and I know that. But God spoke, and things were created. Yes. Jesus spoke, and things happened. When you speak mm-hmm. things, all you're doing is putting yourself under bondage. Yes. I mean, it's coming. You're, you're you're putting yourself in bondage, and that's not what. And we're back to recovery versus deliverance again. Amen. Deliverance yeah. is what Jesus can do, not what I can do. That's right. That's, that's, that's exactly right. Okay, so um, I just want to ask you guys, um, what what do you need from the people that are listening to this podcast? Do you are you wanting a call for compassion? Um, do you need donations? Um, you need people to volunteer. Uh, what do you need from our listeners? <laughs> what do you want them to know? I, I do want to say, uh, one of the greatest things that we do need from listeners is for them to have an open heart because you are bound to come across someone who's been in prison at least once in your life per day. Yeah, absolutely. A lot more frequently than what you realize and again, just goes back to remember that that individual needs Jesus just as much as you do. And that is your opportunity to change someone's life. Yes. So don't, don't, uh, don't pass them up because of their past mistakes. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're not allowed to judge salvation. We're allowed to judge fruits. <laughs> so that's why, again, you need to be equally yoked with some body of believers that's going out and doing something. Amen. Well, you know, I just uh, I just wanted to add something. You know, of course, your ministry, y'all's ministry, is called um, Chain Breakers. Chris Tomlin um, has a song, "My Chains Are Broken," and one of the verses says, "My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace." When I when we heard of y'all's ministry, Chainbreakers, this song, God put on my heart. Mm-hmm. Because everyone, whether you're incarcerated or you're not, we are in chains. Mm-hmm. And what's wonderful about y'all's ministry is you actually go into the ones who are chained. That's right. And so that's just awesome. So before, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm just going to say, people go all over the world on mission trips, and there's so many mission fields in your backyard that people miss every day. That's right. 
Well, we we need to close, but before Scott does that, as he so does so beautifully, what would be the the last thing that you would want to say to everybody listening? What what would that be? Just whatever's on your heart. What would that be? Step out of your comfort zone and go tell somebody about Jesus. And for new believers, don't get yourself in a comfort zone that you'll have to pull yourself out later. Let's start now. Okay. Well, you know, uh, have y'all given out uh, your your uh, website? Yeah. Have y'all told everybody that? No, um, it's chainbreakerministry.com. dot com, mm-hmm. and if you want to check out the band, it's chainbreaker.com. dot com, but it's spelled chain break three R. Very good. Take the last E in it and, and flip turn it, it and turn it yeah. in and make it a three chain break three R, and you can get. You can get CDs or for sale there. That's and, awesome. Hey, one thing I one thing I missed on your question a minute ago. What do you need from our listeners? You know what would be really awesome and something that we do need. Yes, donations are are awesome. Um, it helps us put together materials and tracks to take in. Mm-hmm. A fifteen passenger van would be awesome if anybody has an extra <laughs> one out there because it's very hard to get forty people into one place. And we take motorcycles, but we still could really use a fifteen passenger van that could pull a trailer, okay. which we already have. Praise God. Yes, yeah, that's and let a us, piece of cake to go. That's right. And you can go to uh, to their website uh, that John just mentioned, or you can also go to livingitup.org and, and email us. Let us know that. Or go to our Facebook, um, Living It Up Beginning Again. Mm-hmm. Uh, let us know if you're able to do this. I mean, you're, you're donating a van, but you're saving lives. Yes. Okay? So it's about the glory of Jesus. And, uh, and John, we will definitely be praying about that. And please, listeners, we we want you to be praying about that as well. Well, you know what? This has been an awesome podcast. And thank you guys for being with us and coming and sharing your ministry and what God has uh, commissioned you to do. Praise God. Thank you for having us. It's been an honor. You You know, I, uh, uh, listening to, uh, to John and Stephanie talk, giving their testimonies. You know, you read about the miracles that Jesus has done in the Bible. And you know that he is the God of the past, the present, and the future. And looking at John and Stephanie, I'm looking at two miracles. (laughs) And we know that everyone who's listening around the world has been touched by their sincerity, by their love for others, for the love for these these men uh, and women that are in prison, that are incarcerated, maybe from an upbringing. We don't know, and it's not our job to judge them. What it is our commission to do is to love them and to say, you know what, man? It doesn't matter what you've done or who you wore. It's who you want to be. And that's with Christ. Well, you know, the first step to do that is to is to give your life to Jesus. And, you know, I, I know there's listeners out there. May, maybe you're in Australia today. Maybe you're in the Middle East, China. Maybe you're next door in America. And you've never given your heart to Jesus. Well, here's your chance. And if you've walked away and maybe you've backslidden and you've slipped up and you're thinking, you know what, man? I never really gave my heart to him. Yeah, I said I wanted him, but I never gave my heart to Jesus. Here's your chance right now. 
please pray this prayer with us. Please know that you're saved. Please email us at livingitup.org and let us know or go to our Facebook page so we can be praying for you and get you in a church and a discipleship program. Please pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, please come into my life. Lord, I know you died on the cross that you rose on the third day. And because of that cross, you say my sins are forgiven if I ask you from a sincere heart. Lord, please forgive me of my sins. Lord, today I give you my mind, my heart, my soul. Today, my chains are broken. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we thank you all so much. And those of you who gave your life to Jesus Christ right now, man, we just want to pray for you. We just want to say thank you. And we just want you to, again, encourage you to email us or go to our Facebook page. Let us know. We are, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, so we need to be praying for each other. Well, again, thank you for being here, and thank you, everybody, for listening. We know that we've gone long, but that's, that's what happens when uh, God moves in us and Holy Spirit takes over, and we hope that many of you are better than you were before you listened. So until, until we talk to you tomorrow, keep living it up. Well, I'll begin again. <laughs>